after enduring the emotional trauma that came with betrayal and abandonment and denial, the physical trauma began. They took a crown of thorns and crushed it onto his cranium. They spit in his face and followed that with punches. They took a rod and beat him over the head with it. They flogged him with a whip that had metal balls and pieces of bone embedded into the leather. One historian writes that individuals who were flogged oftentimes had their veins laid bare, the very muscles and sinews, even the bowels open to exposure. They took seven-inch-long spikes and they drove them through his wrists and behind his Achilles tendon to affix his body to a cross. They did so in such a way that his chest was forced into it in a position where it was permanently inhaling. In order to exhale, Jesus had to push up on the nail that was affixing his feet to the cross, dragging his flog back against the wood so that he could let air out of his lungs. The minute he relaxed his legs, he forced into that inhaled position again. Jesus would have repeated that process again and again and again to the point of exhaustion, to the point where it put an unsustainable strain on his heart. And after the blood loss and the suffocation and the cardiovascular trauma led to his death, they took a spear, they rammed it into his side, and they ripped open his guts until blood and, and water poured out and soaked the ground beneath the cross. They took his body off of the cross, they wrapped it up in linen, and they put it into a dark, dank, cold tomb that they sealed up and they left it there for three days. Make no mistake, when they were done with Jesus, he was not slightly alive. He was not mostly dead. He was totally, utterly, completely all dead. Now stop and think. What would it take to bring life to Jesus again? What kind of power would be required to bring the all dead body of Jesus back to life and out of the tomb. See, I would contend that it would take resurrection power to do that. And about 2,000 years ago, on Easter Sunday, the Father in heaven brought resurrection power to bear on the all dead body of Jesus and brought him back to life. And then a few decades later, in light of that event, the Apostle Paul writes to the church then and to the church now that he was praying for the church. What was Paul praying? Well, he wrote it. He tells us. He says, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which God has called you 
I'm praying that the eyes of your heart would be open so you would know the riches of his glorious inheritance for his holy people. Paul isn't done praying. He also prays that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened to see God's incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, what is this power like that Paul is praying for us to see in our lives? He goes on and he tells us. He says, that power is the same as the mighty strength God exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. See, Paul's hope, his prayer for the church then and for the church today is that we would see God's resurrection power for us. That we would know that the very power that that brought Jesus' totally, completely, all dead body back to life is available in your life and in mine. Now, that does beg the question of how. How? How can I know Christ and the power of his resurrection? And that's the question we have been wrestling with all series long. It's a question that we're going to finish talking about today as we wrap this series up. Now, if we haven't met, if you're new here at Faith, my name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. We are thrilled to have you with us in the room today. We're thrilled to have you with us online today as, as we finish this series that we have entitled Dynamite. And in this series, we are talking about resurrection power, a resurrection power that the Apostle Paul says is available to those of us who believe. And if, if you're new today or you haven't been here with us throughout the series, we're just going to kind of summarize where we have been and what we've been talking about. And again, in this series, we've been wrestling with this question of, of how can I know Christ and the power of his resurrection? And, and Paul answers that question for us. In, in Ephesians chapter 3, he in, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 1, he introduces us to this idea of resurrection power. And then in Philippians chapter 3, Paul answers this question directly as he writes. He writes, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. In other words, Paul says, hey, if you want to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection, you can. You do so when you participate in his sufferings and become like him in his death. Now, that would, should make us ask, okay, well then, is there some aspect of Jesus' death that I want to emulate in my life so as to know his resurrection power? And you just flip the page of Philippians over to Philippians chapter 2, and Paul answers that question there for us. Because in Philippians 2, Paul tells us, hey, here are a couple specific aspects of Jesus' death that you should emulate in your life. Paul writes this, he says, and being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so we've been saying, if I want to know resurrection power in this specific area of my life, then I should emulate Jesus' humility in that area of my life. If I want to know resurrection power in a specific area of my life, I should seek to to emulate Jesus' obedience to his call, to God's call in this specific area of my life. 
In fact, last week, we looked at how, like, in order to be obedient to death, Jesus sought to align every, every word and every action and every purpose to that call. That in order to be obedient to death, Jesus did everything within his power to make this call to go to the cross a reality in his life. And we talked about, hey, I, I want to see resurrection power in this area of my life. Then I should, I should try and imitate, emulate Jesus' obedience to whatever God's calling me to in this area of my life as well. But again, that leaves us with another question. Like, how do I figure out what God's call is in an area of my life? Like, how do I best discern God's call, you know, in, in an area of my life? Like, if I'm going, hey, God's calling me to be this, or he's calling me to be that, how do I figure that out? Because sometimes it's really easy, and it's really clear, and sometimes it's not. And so today, we're going to just spend time trying to answer this question. And what we're going to do to try and answer this question is we're just going to look at some different factors for discerning God's will. And there are a number of them out there. And again, some of them are, are very clear and they, and they seem a lot more accessible and others are, are less clear, but they all play a role in helping us figure this out and answer this question. And so we're just going to take these factors of discernment one at a time and see what they would teach us about figuring out, hey, what is God calling me to in my life and in specific areas of my life? And how do I land on that answer? So here we go. We're just going to take it one at a time. We'll start with number one. First factor of discernment for figuring out what God's will in our lives is, is Scripture. Real simple. Like, if you don't hear anything else today, hear this. Of all the ways that God is going to communicate to us about what he wants us to do or not do, the Bible is the clearest, most direct, most consistent way that God speaks to you and me. Of all the ways I'm going to try and discern God's direction for my life. This is the clearest, most direct, most consistent way that God is going to communicate to you and to me. This, this is where I should start. In fact, about Scripture and its role in helping us do this, the Apostle Paul wrote this. He said, all Scripture is God-breathed. That, that, that this isn't just like some old, dry, dusty book written by a bunch of dead religious guys who just wanted to ruin your fun and, and tell you a bunch of stories that have no relevance in your life today. No, Paul says this is a very, very out-breathing of God. And he says, he says it's actually useful. Now, this word that we have translated as useful in the original language, it carries with it this idea of something profitable, helpful, beneficial, advantageous in the daily affairs of our lives. And how is it useful? Paul tells us. He says it's useful for teaching. It, this carries with it this idea of doctrine. The, the idea is that, like, in the scriptures, I find help in understanding how to think about God and how to live with him at the center of my world. Next, Paul tells me that it's useful for rebuking. So the scriptures will come alongside of me when I'm doing it wrong, and they will have the audacity to tell me that I am doing it wrong. It's, it's not, you know, we live in a culture where it's like, well, there are no wrong answers, and everybody wins, and the Bible's like, nope. There are wrong answers, and you'll lose if you get them that way. 
It will rebuke me. It will tell me I'm doing it wrong. It's also useful for correcting. You know, like, what's the difference between rebuking and correcting? Here it is. Rebuking tells me when I'm doing it wrong. Correcting tells me how to stop doing it wrong. And then then Paul kind of comes full circle here. He says it's useful for training in righteousness. So it's like, hey, let me me teach you how to live with God at the center of your thinking and in your life. And here's where you're getting this wrong. And here's how to stop doing this wrong. And here's how to do it right again. The, The scriptures should be the place where I start. If I'm trying to figure out, hey, what is God calling me to in any area of my life? This is the beginning point. If I really want to know what God's call is, I should dig into this book and see what it has to say about that specific area of my life. Of all the ways I'm going to discern God's call, this is the the clearest, the most consistent, this is where I should start. Now, that said, here's the trouble with the Bible. It speaks really directly very clearly to all kinds of things, but it doesn't speak to everything. There are things going on in your life and in my life that the, the Bible might not speak to. For example, if I'm, if I'm like trying to figure out, hey, what's, what's God's call in my life as far as vocation goes? Like I'm getting out of school, what kind of job should I get? Or maybe I'm struggling with the job that I'm in or I lose my job altogether. Like what am I supposed to do vocationally? I can't open up my Bible to the book of jobs. And like, there it is, chapter and verse. Oh, okay, it's just not in there. And if you're thinking, I thought there was a book of Job. That's the book of Job, that's right, right? Has nothing to do with what kind of job I should have. It's about about a guy with some really annoying friends, okay? So like, I I just can't find that there, all right? So this, this is where some of the other factors become really helpful, okay? So, so you have the scripture, super direct, and then you have other factors, and as we go down the line, you'll find them less and less direct, but they all play a role and they can all be helpful. So our next factor is this, it's consistency. And here's what we mean by this, is I'm trying to figure out what God's will might be for my life, and, and it's about something that I can't like look to chapter and verse on that. How, what I'm, how is what I'm thinking God might be telling me to do or not do? How does that line up with what he has very clearly said to me? Directly or indirectly related to what we're talking about. So we'll, we'll just use vocation as an example. Say I'm going, okay, I need to get a new job, right? Um, I don't know what I'm going to do. I got it. I'm going to push fentanyl on the streets, all right? Hey, high, high profit margin, all right, low overhead, no taxes to worry about, and a crazy loyal customer base, amen? I can't get an amen on that, right, probably for the better. Okay, so, but you're, you know, here's the deal. Bible doesn't even use the word fentanyl. It's not in there. However, however, the Bible has all kinds of things to say about, hey, don't be engaged in illegal activity. Stay away from addictive substances. Destructive elements are going to come to people's lives. Do everything you can not to be the person who introduces those elements to them. See, being your, your friendly neighborhood dope dealer, it's inconsistent 
with what the Bible has told me about other areas of my life. Or let's look at this, you know, like kind of in reverse here. So when my wife and I were early, you know, young marrieds, we had very little money. And that meant that there was not a lot of money for entertainment. There was really no money for entertainment if we were being responsible. And so uh, one year, though, we got a tax return. It was bigger than we expected. And so with some of that money, we spent some of it on entertainment, we bought this big old fish tank. And we did not buy a fish tank because we were into tropical fish. We bought a fish tank because I was into tropical fish. <laughs> really a nice thing that my wife did, right? And we had that tank for years, and I loved it, and I had a ton of fun with it. But eventually, we got to a point in our lives where we just, I was like, okay, I'm done with the tropical fish thing. And so I sold the fish tank. And I'm sitting here with this pile of money because it retained decent value. And I'm thinking, okay, what are we going to do with this money? And all of a sudden, this idea popped into my head. What if you give the money to Laura and tell Laura to spend it on whatever she wanted? And I thought, where in the world did that insane idea come from? That's nuts. Why would I do that? And I thought, well, maybe that idea came from God. And again, no chapter and verse on what to do with the proceeds of a fish tank sale. It's just not in here. However, there are all kinds of things in the Bible that talk to me about being generous and loving my wife and serving her sacrificially. So was it God's will that I sell the fish tank and give her the money? I can't say that for sure. I can say that doing so was incredibly consistent with the kind of husband God has called me to be. Sometimes God helps us discern what his will might be through something like consistency. Or sometimes might, God might help us figure out what his will would be through people. Do people. Sometimes, listen, this is why it's so important to be here on Sundays or to be in a small group or to have friends who share your faith, who you share your life with. Because sometimes God is going to help you figure out what his call might be through wise, discerning, spiritually connected people who he has in your life. For example, remember back in, in 1 Samuel chapter 3? Samuel is living in the temple, the tabernacle at the time. He's living in the tabernacle, and he's young, just a young guy. But God is trying to communicate a call to Samuel in his life. So God starts calling Samuel in the night, and Samuel, he's young, he's inexperienced with this whole call of God thing. He doesn't know what's going on. He thinks Eli the priest is calling him. So he goes running into Eli's room, wake, you know, wakes Eli up, and he's like, here I am. And Eli's like, I did not call you. Go back to bed, let me sleep, right? And I'm like, ooh, Eli, you're my kindred spirit, right? And so th this like repeats itself multiple times. And finally, Eli, who's older, who's wiser, who has experience with spiritual calls, he realizes that the, th this is the Lord calling this kid. And so Eli tells Samuel, hey, go lay down. And if you hear it again, what, what you're going to do is you're going to say, Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. God will place wise, discerning people, people who are in tune with his spirit, people who aren't all emotionally caught up in what we're trying to figure out and who are able to be more objective than we can be. 
God places those people in our lives to help us sometimes discern what his call might be. God just might, if you're trying to figure out what am I supposed to do, God just might have an Eli there to help you figure that out. So prior to coming on staff here at Faith, I served as an associate pastor at another church for 11 years. And then I served at that same church as the interim lead pastor for about a year and a half. And about six months into that interim phrase there, I began to really wrestle with this idea of, like, should I leave this church and pursue a lead pastor role somewhere else? Again, no chapter and verse for that. Couldn't find it in there. One of the things that I did to try and figure out, is this what God is calling me to? Is I, I got with people in my life who I respected, and I said to them, hey, what do you think? I, I sat down with the previous lead pastor who I worked with for 11 years. I sat down with Garth McGrath, our conference superintendent. I, I, I reached out to Kevin Butcher and to Bob Tissett, a couple guys who've been mentors to me for years and years. I sat down with the leadership team at that church who I was working with as the interim lead pastor for that year and a half. Listen, if, if the message I had received from all those different folks consistently had been, hey, we don't think this is for you, we don't think this is the time, we don't think this is a good idea, I wouldn't be here. And if you're like, darn it, I don't know. <laughs> Fill out your connection card, I can send you their contact information, you can send them an ask, you know, Right? But sometimes God places people in our lives to help us figure this out. And other people can help us discern God's will or they can confirm it. So like after, like, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this, right? And, and I pursued it and faith was one of the places that I began to explore this with. And eventually, you know, we had a, a search weekend and all those kind of things. And a call was extended to me to come here to faith. Well, then I had to go back to my previous church and announce I'm out. And so we, we had a weekend where we announced that I was, you know, I accepted a call here. We had four weekend services at the time. And after two of them, I had two separate people, independent of each other, come to me and say, hey, I knew you were leaving. I was like, well, who blabbed? And they're like, nobody told me. I had a dream, and in that dream, it was really clear God was calling you to leave our church and calling you to a different church freaked me out, all right? That's just really weird to me. That's a pool that I don't swim in often. But it was really reaffirming for me and that reaffirmation that this is what God is calling me for, calling me to, it came through people. Sometimes God has people in our lives to help us discern what he's doing. All right, another factor, circumstances. Sometimes God will use circumstances to help us figure out what it is he's calling us to or not calling us to. It's, it's the whole open door, closed door thing that you hear at church. It's basically just how the circumstances in my life unfold or don't unfold can help me figure out what God is doing. So prior to going into pastoral ministry, I worked for about a dozen years as a social worker. One of the places that I worked was this place called Boysville of Michigan. And Boysville was basically jail for kids. And while I was working at Boysville, I had somebody say to me, hey, you should check out this role that's opened up at Families First. Families First, they worked with kids, but they were primarily working with families who had kids who were in danger of getting into the foster care system, and you were trying to help prevent that. 
So I checked out the job and I thought, that's really interesting. I applied for the job. They, they brought me in to do an interview. I interviewed for the job. The interview went really well. And on the way home from the interview, I thought, this is it. God is calling me to families first. He's opening up this door. This is the next chapter in my career. And then you know what happened? I didn't get the job. Didn't happen. They called me up and said, sorry, we don't think you're the right person for this. The door closed. Families first wasn't what God was calling me to. I thought it was, but it wasn't. The circumstances and the way that they unfolded made that clear. In fact, in retrospect now, looking back, it, was really, it is so clear to me today that that's not the direction that God was calling me in. Now, when, when we talk about people and circumstances, some of you are out there thinking this, and it's, I'm not mad at you for thinking it. It's actually a really intelligent thing to think. You go, hey, but what if, what if people give you bad advice? What if circumstances unfold the way that God doesn't want them to? I mean, you, you can't get three chapters into this book without circumstances going the way that God doesn't want them to. You know, like, what, what if the people, what if God really wanted you to have that family's first job and the people doing the interview were just stupid and they got it wrong, right? Or, or what if, what if you know, all those people you're asking, hey, should I pursue a lead pastor thing? What if they weren't as spiritual and as, as in tune with God's, you know, like, call in your life as you thought they were? Now, those are possibilities. Here's what I would say to that. I am convinced that the God of the universe is perfectly capable of stepping in when somebody gives bad advice and providing clarity. I am convinced that the God of the universe is more than capable of stepping in even when circumstances begin to unfold in a way he doesn't want them to and bringing about change. And we get, a, we get an example of this from the scriptures. So if you remember back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, David is like he's king, everything is going well. You know, if he goes to war, he wins. If he, you know, tries to do something at home, it goes great. Like, he touches it, it turns to gold. But David, he's, he, he's like, he gets to this place where he's distressed. He's like, hey, I've got this beautiful palace I'm living in. We're still doing church in a tent. I want to build a temple for God. And so David goes to Nathan, the prophet, a guy who is wise, who is spiritually discerning, who's usually in touch with what God's spirit is doing. And he asks Nathan, he's like, hey, what do you think? Can I build a temple for God? Nathan says to him, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do, for the Lord is with you. Now, you know what this is? This is wrong. This is bad advice on Nathan the prophet's part. I, and again, I don't think Nathan was like intentionally trying to mess David up or, you know, like, you know, just being flippant. I think Nathan was looking at, hey, everything David touches goes, you know, it goes great. I mean, he, he does this, it goes well, he touches that, it turns to gold. God's blessing him. Why wouldn't God want a temple? Sure, go for it, David. That's a good thing you have in mind. The next night, that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. The God of the universe was perfectly capable when Nathan gave bad advice to come to Nathan and say to him, hey, you need to go back to David. Let him know you got it wrong. You need to go back to David and let him know, I don't want him to build my house. Now, as long as we're talking about houses, I'm not mad at David about this. You let him know, I'm going to build his house. 
I'm going to build his family line. He's going to be the first in a number of kings, and eventually the Messiah himself, the Savior of the world, is going to come out of his family line. But he doesn't get to build my house. If God wanted me to have the family's first job, he'd have stepped in. He could have done something about it. If people were giving me bad advice, God is more than capable of stepping in and bringing clarity. So you have circumstances, you have people, they play a role as well. All right, one more, one more, and then we'll wrap this up. One final way that God can communicate his call to our lives is what we're going to call promptings. And by promptings, what we're talking about is this, this internal tugging that we sense in our hearts or in our minds where God is calling us to something. And again, I would contend this, this is a scriptural idea. So you, you, you think back, okay, David wants to build this temple for God. God says, nope, you can't build the temple. But God's going to let his son Solomon build the temple. What God does do is allow David to put together all the plans all the architectural plans, do fundraising, all this kind of stuff, all the pre-work for Solomon. Now, when it comes to the plans for the temple, listen to what the Bible says about this. It says, he, he is David, gave him, him is Solomon. David gave Solomon the plans of all that the Spirit had put on his mind for the courts of the temple of the Lord and all the surrounding rooms for the treasuries of the temple of God and for the treasuries for the dedicated things. These plans that David had for the temple, the Spirit of the Lord put those in his mind. God's Spirit was tugging on David's heart and his mind, pulling him in a particular direction. When, when I was going, hey, should I sell that fish tank and give the money to my wife? That was God tugging on my heart and my mind. When I was going, man, I, I think I'm supposed to leave this church that I've been at for better than a decade and go somewhere new. That was God tugging on my heart and on my mind. Sometimes God leads us with promptings. Now, here's the trouble with promptings. And Abby, if you wouldn't mind, can we go back to that, that, that last slide? Here's the, here's the trouble with promptings. There is something about promptings that can be subjective. And, and, and sometimes with promptings, it's God pulling on our heart and our mind, and sometimes it's us. Like, again, I was, I was convinced, hey, family's first. That's what God's calling me to. He's, 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 did you see the interview? It was amazing. That wasn't God. I thought it was. But it was really me being excited about something that I attributed to God. Of all the, the factors that we're going to look at, promptings tend to be the trickiest. Because sometimes our emotions, our desires, they, they, can, they can impact this. And not only is it tricky with us personally, but it can be tricky with other people. Because like, sometimes you have somebody who will say to you, hey, I really think God is, and you fill in the blank. He's telling me this. He's doing this. And unless, unless the thing that they're saying God is saying or doing like contradicts something he's already said or done in writing, how do you argue with that? You, you can't. It, now, it may be that what they're saying, what they're attributing to God really is something that God is saying or doing. It could be something that they think of in their own excitement and that they're attributing to God that he isn't saying or doing. 
It could just be the indigestion from something they had the night before. I mean, it just, it's, it, there's so much subjectivity that comes with promptings. So when it comes to promptings, there's, there are a couple of things that I like to keep in mind and, and, and do before I respond or as I respond to a prompting. And the two things that I like to keep in mind with promptings are this. What's the level of risk? And what would it look like to run them through the filter of the other factors? So, for example, if, if, if I think maybe God's calling me to do something and the risk is low, like I think, oh, you know, I think, I think God's calling me to invite Scott to church on a Sunday. That's pretty low risk. If I invite Scott to church on a Sunday and God doesn't call me to invite Scott to church on a Sunday, really no harm done there. So if I think God's calling me to do something and it's super low risk, I'm just going to go for it. But if I think God's calling me to do something and it's high risk, if I go, you know, I think maybe God's called me to quit my job as a pastor and go into a different vocation altogether. That's gonna, that could have significant impact on my life, on my family, on our church. And so if it's a high-risk kind of thing, I'm going to run it through the filter of the other factors. I'm going to go, well, how are my circumstances like confirming or, or causing me to question what I think the promptings might be telling me? And let me sit down and talk to some wise people, some discerning people, people who are connected to God's spirit, and they're not caught up in what I'm trying to figure out. They can be objective and see how what they have to say aligns with my promptings or not. And how consistent is, is this prompting that I'm sensing with what God has to say about things that might not be speaking directly to this prompting, but indirectly connect to it? Or I've got this prompting, like does it like flat out agree with or violate something that God has clearly said in Scripture? If it's high risk, I'm going to run it through the filter. If it's low risk, I'm just going to go for it. So, Paul prays that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened to see God's incomparably great power for us who believe. He tells us, the power that brought Jesus back from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father. That power is available in your life and mine. And we tap into that kind of power as we emulate Jesus' humility and we, as we emulate Jesus' obedience. As we're trying to figure out, hey, what's God's call in an area of my life so that I can emulate Jesus' obedience, God gives us factors to discern that call. Scripture, consistency, people, circumstances, and promptings. Would you stand with me, church? Father, I just pray that you would help us, please, in the areas of our lives where you are seeking to direct us. Help us just to see clearly what your call is. Father, if you've spoken to us in your word about that call, help us to come across that as we dig into the Bible and look for it. Father, help us to see through the lens of consistency. Father, bless us, please, with relationships with people who know you and love you, who are in tune with your spirit. Father, be at work in our circumstances and help us, please, 
just to be open to where you are calling us with your spirit to ours. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.